you know, it doesn't take us long as we live in this world to figure out that um, all things are not as they should be. We have this sense of justice and perfection in us, and as we live in this world, we we see that things are not always just, they're not always perfect, and, and that longing that we have is for the world that is yet to come. And so it's been good for us in this season of Advent to focus on the second coming of Jesus. But what happens if we're not focused on that? What if we're not thinking about that, of the world to come, or Jesus' second coming? Um, if we don't believe that Jesus will actually come back soon, well, we, if we don't do that, then we can become unfaithful. We can become complacent. We cannot care how we live. So that's not good. We should stay focused on Jesus' second coming. Is it possible to focus on that too much? Could be. Don't often see that, but we could become unfaithful and abandon the work and the life that he has for us here um, because we're, we're not living in the present, but we're so focused on the future. And the reason I mention that, that is because in the book of Thessalonians, there are some people in Thessalonica who are doing just that. And so in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul gives instructions to them about being faithful in the present tense. And uh, so this morning, as we read and we study chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians... I'm going to pray that God would show us how we're to be faithful as we approach a new calendar year. It's an opportunity for us to think about how we're living and how we want to live. And so thinking about how do we show our faithfulness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brothers... Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers... Never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. 
I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the, the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So from that text, how are we to show our faithfulness? Well, first of all, Paul tells us by praying. Verse 1. He says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. And so as we anticipate the coming of our Lord, let that motivate us to pray for the rapid spread of God's word. We know that God is being patient right now because he wants people to know him and to come to him. And so for us to pray that God's message would get out quickly and be honored all over the world. And of course, that's in our vision statement, to take his love and message to the world. And so the second coming of Christ motivating us to get his word and his, his love and his message out there. Jesus himself said that the end would come only after the gospel of the kingdom is preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. That's Matthew 24. And so as his coming approaches, Jesus wants the whole world to know about him. Wycliffe Bible Translators are uh, an organization uh, that tell us that the Bible needs to be translated into yet around 2,000 languages before everyone in the world can have a copy of the scriptures in their own language. And Wycliffe is one organization that's uh, working to complete that task, and they're getting closer to getting it done. Uh, In fact, their goal, uh, at least recently, was to start translating the last language by the year 2025. But if we look back on their history, nearly 38 years ago, 1981, there were 3,000 languages to go, and in that year, seven armed terrorists burst into the Wycliffe Bible Translator's office in Bogota, Colombia, and they took one of the translators there captive, and that man's name was Chet Bitterman. Some of you may remember this story. Um, they held him for seven weeks before finally killing him. And so... Of course, at that time, some saw that as a setback to Wycliffe's work. But the founder, whose name was William Townsend, saw it differently. He called this event a tremendous advance because young people have been awakened in a new way. And he was right. Uh, The fact is that after Chet Bitterman's death, there were nearly 100 students from Columbia Bible College who pledged themselves to missionary service. Chet's widow, Brenda, vowed to return to Bible literacy work. His younger brother, Craig, applied to Wycliffe, hoping to become a Bible translator. And also at that time, a new chair of linguistics and Bible translation was established at Biola University in Chet's memory. But when it happened, Chet's father, uh, Chester Bitterman Sr., made this comment. He said, On a human level, Chet may have lost his life, But we believe that God is not finished in this. We haven't read the last chapter yet. And I tell that story because now, almost 40 years later indeed, we see that this so-called setback actually sped up the process. And and for us in this day, uh, to see our need to pray, even though times are tough, 
to pray that God's word can spread faster during these days and that people would respond by the Holy Spirit in a way that they've never heard before. And more than that, to to pray for protection. We need to pray for deliverance from evil men and the evil one himself. And that's what Paul asks his readers here to pray for. Verse 2. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not everyone has faith, meaning um, not everyone in the church is a believer. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one, meaning Satan himself. Satan hasn't changed. And in our day, as well as in the past, he will stop at nothing to stop God's word from being spread. And so in in your life and in my life, he will come and try to discourage us. He will try to defeat us. And if he can't do that, he will try to divide us so that we waste our time fighting each other or fighting about trivial things instead of trying to get that love and message out. And so my encouragement to you this morning is don't let the enemy do that. Don't let him discourage you. Don't let him divide you or distract you. Instead, pray for God's protection against his attacks in this year to come. great story of uh, God's protection comes out of North Africa where a believer there was fleeing for his life. And his uh, enemies pursued him over a hill and through a valley and there was really no place for him to hide. And so he was exhausted and he ducked into a cave expecting to be caught at any moment. And as he sat there, panting, awaiting his death, he saw a spider weaving a beautiful web across the mouth of the cave. And and when his pursuers arrived, um, they saw this unbroken web, and they assumed that it would be impossible for anyone to have recently entered that cave, and so they moved on. They, they didn't go in. And later, that believer exclaimed, Where God is, a spider's web is like a wall. And where God is not, a wall is like a spider's web. You and I may think we're in difficult days. We may think we're in uh, times of trial, and that may be true. But as we anticipate the coming of our Lord, He also promises us His protection so that we can remain faithful no matter what happens. We need his protection, especially from the evil one who would try to divide us when things are hard. And so my encouragement this morning is to pray, to pray for the rapid spread of God's word, to pray for deliverance from the attacks of Satan, and pray for the strength to do God's will. Pray for God to help us do what's right, even when it's hard that Paul's prayer for his readers, that you and I could show his faithfulness. We show that faithfulness by praying, uh, praying for the gospel to spread quickly and for protection from evil. But we also show our faithfulness, second point, by having confidence in God's faithfulness. Men we know may be evil. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. 
So when times are hard, Paul prays that you and I would continue to know and reflect God's love and that we wouldn't quit loving even if we are persecuted like Jesus Christ. He prays for our perseverance in it. Now, this may be hard, but he, he tells us our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. And you notice here in verse 4, Paul says, We have confidence in the Lord. You see, Paul had learned a long time ago not to put confidence in his own flesh, even though uh, he was an amazing man. He knew that his flesh was weak. Instead, Paul puts his confidence in the Lord, as Philippians says, who works in us to will and act according to his good pleasure. In other words, as you and I depend on the Lord... Then we persevere in loving each other like Christ did. And as we depend on the Lord, we persevere in doing what's right, even when it's hard. You see, in difficult times, God gives us what we need to find strength for each new day. He gives us what we need to be faithful and to minister to one another. We show our faithfulness by praying. We show that we have confidence in God's faithfulness. And if I were to put it in a word, I would say trust. Trust. To trust Christ with all of your heart, to to lean on him, to depend on the Lord in these days before Jesus comes again. But that doesn't mean just sitting around or being passive. We also show our faithfulness by working faithfully. And that's my third point this morning from, from our text. You see, When times are hard, it's easy to give up. After all, why bother? Especially if Jesus is coming back soon, right? I mean, why not just quit and wait for him to return and take care of everything? I know that sounds silly, but there have been those in history who have actually done this. Uh, They've quit their jobs. They've sold everything they had. They waited on the rooftops for Jesus to come. And then when Jesus didn't come, they were forced to beg for food to eat. Um, In recent times, I've even heard about churches that encouraged their members to borrow as much money as they could to finance the church building. Now, I I would like to get our church building paid off, but but that's foolish, right? That's silly. Um, That's that's irresponsible, and the Bible condemns it here in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and doesn't live according to the teaching you received from us. The Bible makes it clear here and in other places that we're to avoid or keep away from the idle, literally meaning to shrink away from those who are out of order. And the picture that Paul is painting here is uh, of a soldier who is marching out of rank. He's undisciplined. He's irresponsible. He says, don't, don't go with that. Avoid that kind of person. On the other hand, we're to follow a good example. We're to keep in step with those who behave responsibly. Verse 7. For you, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we work night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. 
We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. So, as a traveling teacher, Paul had the right to live off his students or or those that he was teaching. He had a right to eat food that they provided for him. And from them, he had the right to receive financial support. But instead, he chose to earn his own way. He chose to take responsibility for his own support despite the hardships of that. And in that way, he serves as an example for every believer in hard times. We're not to be idle. Instead, we're to earn our way. We're to work to provide for our own needs if we are able. Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Notice it doesn't say if a man cannot work. No, it says if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Because those who cannot work, for whatever reason, we have an obligation to help. But those who will not work should go to work so that they can eat. Uh, In our day, Pastor John Bukema in Pennsylvania talks about a time that he was at a community prayer breakfast and he was sitting at a table with a group of men that he didn't know. And in the course of their conversation, the subject of retirement came up. And a man sitting next to Pastor John, he appeared to be in his early 50s, was quite excited about this prospect of retirement. And he talked about how much he was looking forward to the end of his career. And he had actually shared a conversation with his wife about it that morning. My wife asked, what are you going to do when you retire? I told her, I'm going to sit on the couch and watch TV all day, every day. Table grew quiet. Pastor John could not keep quiet for long. He said, if you do that, you will be dead in a year. The man looked at Pastor John wide-eyed and asked, why? And John told him, If the lack of purpose in your life doesn't kill you first, your wife will. (laughs) Point being that when we don't work, if we're able to, then we don't feel good about ourselves, we don't have purpose, we're useless to those around us. And that's what had happened to some of Paul's readers here. Verse 11, we hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. Love that verse. Never tire of doing what is right. Some of the Thessalonians were feverishly awaiting Christ's return, so they stopped working and they became idle, which led them to meddle in each other's affairs. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. He says, They had time on their hands and gossip on their lips, but they defended themselves by arguing, The Lord's coming soon. Bad things happen when we fail to work. Uh, Different cultures have expressed that in different ways. Idle hands are the devil's workshop, or the devil finds work for idle hands to do. And those sayings come about because we were made to work. We were created to have purpose, to depend on the Lord, yes, 
by all means, but also to be diligent in your work. Never tire of doing what is right. So avoid the idle, imitate the diligent, and be responsible. Verse 14. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And so we see here that Christian discipline and accountability are brotherly. They're not harsh. Another way to say it is we speak the truth to each other in love. And we need both. Truth in love. Truth in love. Keep away and dissociate here do not mean withdrawing all contact with the person, but withholding close friendship. It's a disassociation that will hopefully bring the person back to the right attitude. So warn your brother in love about his irresponsibility, but by no means support him in it. Many years ago, and I'll close with this story, uh, the L.A. Times carried a story about a man who went to the house where he had grown up, and he knocked on the door. Uh, It had been 20 years since he lived in that house, and so he grew a little sentimental. He asked the current owners if he could walk through the house, and they let him do so. And while he was in the attic, he actually found an old jacket of his. And so he put it on, and when he put his hands in the pocket, he pulled out a stub, and it turned out it was a a receipt from a shoe repair shop. And he remembered that he had taken a pair of shoes there 20 years ago, right before he moved, and in the midst of the move, he forgot about them and never even picked them up. So on a whim, he decided to go to the shoe repair shop, and just for fun, he took the receipt out of the pocket And he handed it to the guy behind the desk saying, Are my shoes ready? Well, the guy went back to the workroom for a minute and then came back to the counter and he said, Come back a week from Thursday. (laughs) Funny story, but, but I think it illustrates the attitude of a lazy person who's always saying, Come back a week from Thursday. Um, That should not be our mindset. That should not be our attitude in these difficult days before Jesus comes back again. Instead, knowing that he's coming back, we're focused on that, and so we depend on the Lord because he is faithful, and we show our own faithfulness by praying to him, by having confidence in his faithfulness, but by working faithfully as we anticipate his return. So contemplating his return, contemplating eternity, contemplating the future that he has for us is a highly motivating thing. And so if we find that we're not motivated, perhaps we've gotten too focused on right here, right now, and the things that are all around us. But as we focus on his plan, on his purpose, it motivates us. So again, my encouragement is to pray in these difficult times, to pray in the trials that you face. But prayer is not a way to avoid responsibility. It's a way to do more than we ever thought was possible with God's help, with God's Spirit empowering us.